everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. How you doing, Corey? You know, it's finally the end of the week. This was the longest four-day work week I think I've ever had. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> uh, mine was good. Uh, it was our last four days. I'm on summer vacation as of now. Jelly! Um, and uh, we had ha- half days every day because we had finals for three of them. Um, I had... I want to give a, a, a big shout-out to Alejandro Montoya Marin, um, who is the director of Monday, who we did a podcast uh, way back. Like, it's been a, a, at least a year um, since we recorded our episode with um, Alejandro. I also recorded an episode with uh, Jamie Young, who is the star of Monday. Um, I've been in good contact with him since I, I reviewed his film, and uh, I, I used his movie Monday as the final for my Film 2 class. And um, my film two kids have been with me for three years, so they're juniors this year. They just finished their junior year, gonna be with me for their senior year next year. It'll be my first full four year program uh, of my film program that I started uh, five years ago. Um, so I'm ex- you know it was a good way to end the year. We watched the movie and they had four extended response questions, and I, I told Alejandro that I was doing that, and he was really excited about the whole process, and uh, being super cool volunteered at uh it was like twelve fifteen in the afternoon here in florida um and so i i think he's in cali now so it's three hours difference uh he volunteered to do a q a over skype with my kids last minute unplanned and uh they really enjoyed it and got a real kick out of getting to uh talk to a director that they just watched the film um it was really cool and it was a, a like i know it kind of ended their year perfectly um, but, uh, so shout out to Alejandro. Um, he, he just finished, uh, shooting his second feature film, Millennium Bugs, which you can follow on social media. Um, and I'll link, uh, I'll actually link to that in the show notes as well. So if you want to just click the link, uh, to go to the Instagram and follow it, keep up with all the news, uh, they're in post-production now. Um, so I, I think we can expect maybe fall, um, for the Millennium Bugs to start getting its, uh, buzz or at least entering into festivals and stuff. So um something to look forward to if you've seen monday or if you missed it it was part of the rebel without a crew uh the series the robert rodriguez tv show on the el rey network um i believe uh i don't have any official dates but i believe that the movies from that series are going to be available to purchase in the near future so keep your eye out for that um when it becomes official i'll have more information but um and before we go any further Corey, i gotta explain what this show is um Corey and I, we we like movies a whole lot, but we had bad habits of rewatching the same movies way more often than watching new ones. And I think you and I are both pretty guilty of that still, aren't we? Yeah. Um, Can't stop, won't stop. You know, sometimes you need the comfort movies, you know, they just make you feel good. You throw them on in the background while you do some other stuff. Um, but in order to ensure that at least once a week we watch something one of us has never seen before, we started this podcast um so movie club we pick a theme uh this month's theme is mint in box and this is our last episode for this theme um where these are movies that we owned but had never watched unfortunately we only knocked out five of them and i still own many more that i have yet to see but the list is dwindling um to start and this week's episode we'll be doing an extensive review of sunset boulevard from 1950 billy wilder film uh, i bought uh because it was a billy wilder film and also i believe 
it's on the top 100 AFI list, or at least one of the last couple AFI lists. Um, and so I've been meaning to knock it off my checklist, and this week, uh, boom, it's done. Um, but before we do that, we do like to kind of talk, see how we've been, uh, what's been going on as we just did a little there about our lives this week, and um, get into what else we've been watching before uh, we get into our review of Sunset Boulevard. So, Corey, you said you had a rough week. Do you want to get into any specific stories? Anything crazy happen? No, just I don't know what it was. I had a great three-day weekend. Mm, great three-day weekend. And, like, I went to the movies with a friend. We had ice cream at one of my favorite local ice cream places. I'm going to actually give them a quick shout-out. They're called The Still, and they just make delicious ice cream. Mm. I love ice cream. But, um... And some of their ice cream is booze-infused, so <laughs> there's oh. that. And we have two locations now. There's one downtown, which is where they started, and they actually, like, serve pints of beer t- there, too. And then um, they just opened, like, a small little counter at our movie theater, um, oh, like, nice. right across. There's, like, this – it's, like, a community – like, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's got, like, a lot of different – uh, restaurants in it and they're like when they have the little ice cream counter so that's rad and we also have a good burger there so i can't not think of keenan and kel like every time i go to the movies wait um, is that like was that an actual chain of burgers well i think that it is now we have huh. two locations now there's that one by the movie theater and then there's one in our mall but um i don't think that it was a chain like back when the show was on but it could be wrong interesting or like yeah all that yeah i'm like yeah, and a, a, a very mediocre kids movie based on that property or that sketch oh um, i've never seen that movie and i i feel yeah it's not so good, good about it i mean i yeah. did like the sketch uh when i was a kid um the movie not so good although i still had you know i still uh kel's character who is the uh you know who gives the line and stuff it's funny, but it's not. It's not like good. It doesn't need to be a movie. Yeah, it's it's got a lot of the traditional adapting a sketch into a feature film very rarely works. Uh, Wayne's World being the best example of when it works uh, very well. God, I love that movie. I'm yeah. glad I rewatched those last year. But like, they think of how much they had to expand that sketch, and even how that sketch implied a bigger world, because it is like we're looking at a TV show, so we know it's a set. We know this is. All we're seeing is this moment. So the movie, you see what happens after that, and it, it's, you know, it's just the setup of the characters. It's not actually the the plot itself. But not to get into that, um, you yeah. know, we had a rough three day weekend. So maybe that's why my weekend was, uh, or my week has been good, because on Sunday, uh, it was we needed to wash our sheets, and uh, my wife Kathy comes into the bedroom and she starts. But, you know, like rolling up yeah. the sheets, right? Like she's putting the sheets up and I'm like, okay, I'll help. So I, we start taking the pillowcases off and she just kind of like rolls all of it into like a big ball. Oh God. Oh gosh. And okay. so I take the, the ball of sheets and pillowcases and take it to the washing machine and put it in. And she's like, use the liquid detergent, not the pods. I don't know why, but that's what she says. So that's what I do. I run the washing machine. You know, the, the washing machine takes about 30 minutes to do the full cycle. Okay. And at about that point, She's like, have you seen my phone? Oh, shh. That's right. I read about this. Yeah. And I'm just like, where is it? And she, I call it and I like hear it by the washing machine. <laughs> and I cannot believe it. One, I can't believe it's ringing. Oh, that my is God. In the washing machine. Um, so I, I open the washing machine. And I'm trying to find it. I, I, I hear it. Um, the flashlight is on. 
Uh, so that's oh. not a great sign. Um, it is wrapped in the sheet. So she she set her phone on the bed and started unfolding the, the sheets. And then we were talking, and I didn't know that she had done that. And so technically I put it in the washing machine, but I put it there because she put it in the sheets. I don't know what happened. But um, by it, she has – and I'm not trying to plug – I'm actually an Android user. I, I am a Galaxy uh, user. Um, myself, but my wife has stayed with iPhone because it's just simplicity, and she's always had an iPhone. So she has the XR now. So we've come a long way because it did an entire cycle in our washing machine, and the only thing we did was not plug it in for five hours. We didn't put it in rice. Uh, it was never turned off. It, it's worked the whole time. It's almost a week now, so I'm like, I'm still taking a risk even saying this out loud. But right. Um, if you're superstitious, I'm crossing my fingers. Yeah, I am a little superstitious. I I was I was mad, but also trying not to be mad. But I'm like in panic mode because I'm like, I don't know. We just got this phone like two months ago. I don't have a backup phone for you. you. Um, so I was very like, oh my god, how did this happen? Um, but yeah, it is. Uh, it's crazy, and you know, there it's like the, all the new phones. You're, you're you can get them wet now. But you can't still, like, you're not supposed to submerge them or go swimming with them. And you're especially not supposed to put them in a high-pressure washing machine that's spinning around. Um, and, uh, man, luck, luck, luck. Uh, it was crazy. But that was our Sunday, so it was like... I forgot about that. Yeah, it was, it was like... I mean, again, it was just a moment. And, it, it, again, it could have been way worse. Um, but it was but still, I mean, like, let's all just be real for a mi- minute. It's ridiculous ridiculous how much we pay for these phones yeah it is and that we rely on them so much like to not have one is a stressful feeling at this point in my life so like the idea of it breaking and not having a quick way to to replace it especially you guys have a kid like yeah which man that kid goes through screen protectors like it is nobody's business like I will put a screen protector on her phone, and then I see her phone, like, two days later. I'm like, how is it cracked already? Like, what have you done? Because um, I buy, like, the glass screen protectors. Yeah. And, and I'm just – because that's the one thing I don't like. I love the Galaxy phones. I don't understand why they keep putting the stupid edge on them because the edge function is stupid, and it makes yeah. the cases impossible. So I'm just like, stop putting the edge on the stupid phone. It looks nice, but it just makes it easier to crack if you don't put a protector on it. Um, so – yeah, but she's gone through the protectors like it's nothing. Um, but yeah, that was that was our Sunday, um, and then Monday was just like it ended up just going by really fast. We did go see uh, we were supposed to go see a movie Monday night, and that didn't happen. We ended up uh, my wife and I went Tuesday night on like a date to see a movie, which is becoming a, a a trend now that our daughter's older. We can like leave her home alone and go to a movie, which I love so much um, because obviously I like seeing movies and um to me like going to a movie is the one thing i like to leave the house for more so than most other things like i go to the gym now been going to the gym solid since january at least three days a week although i'm now that it's summer i'm gonna up it to five days a week since i am on vacation um but uh you know it is it is something it's been it's been a week and um the hardest part for me right i've been um on keto for about two months and i am i am a stress and uh i'm a stress eater for sure i I eat for a lot of reasons and that's why i'm in the position that i'm currently in 
but uh, I just also really enjoy food. I just like I all too. kinds of food. I I <laughs> am a foodie. Like I like flavors. I like stuff. And so when I get in those types of Sunday moments where I'm just so stressed out, um, I've been good. I have not cheated. I I accidentally cheated on graduation night because I bought an iced coffee. I bought a cold brew coffee, and added sweet cream not thinking about the sugar in the sweet cream oh yeah and it crushed my carb count on that day but every other day i've been on it with the exception of tribeca when we were in tribeca no no diet but other and than that um so i want to and <laughs> i want to stop in here yeah. um because i drink a lot of tea oh. like hot tea like you drink coffee i drink drinking coffee right now <laughs> i love tea and uh, I use stevia. I don't know if you use stevia, but I if do. you get the liquid stevia, no carbs, man. Liquid stevia? I've not tried. I just have the packets, yeah. but now I'm curious about that. It yeah, comes in a dropper, and you only need, like, one or two drops. Yeah, it's all that's in my uh, decaf here I'm drinking. Um, it's just a couple packets of stevia. Uh, it's been a transition because I really like cream in my coffee. Um, mm. and weeding that out has been a little challenging. Because, um, honestly, coffee has been my my sweet treat for a long time like more so than like instead of eating cake or whatever i would drink a cup of coffee with a little bit of cream in it um i don't i never really put sugar i like i buy like the coffee mate creamer and that's sweet enough you know but i buy yeah. like the sugar-free one but it's still got carbs and stuff but um but yeah so sunday i really wanted to eat though and it was like like meat and vegetable was not not as appealing as it's been most days i'm fine with it and then there are those days where i'm just like okay i really want blank like i would love a giant hamburger but you know i'm getting better like today at work our last day uh, we had a big meeting afterwards and so we had lunch provided and um twice in the last week we've had uh breakfast provided all from panera <sighs> which is the enemy uh, it, now, going there, there's food that a person on keto can easily order. When it's being catered, you get no say in what's going to be there. So the two breakfast days were all pastries. So literally nothing I can eat. Um, so I didn't get to benefit from that. I did, I did partake in their coffee, which I do like. Um, but then uh, today they had salads, but I'm not a jerk. I, I like to be very considerate. And so the Caesar salad, even though I have to, I had to pick out the croutons... Um, had chicken, but it wasn't, like, a lot of chicken, where if I would have, like, eaten a normal portion of, like, chicken and romaine lettuce together, I would have stolen all the chickens where no one else would have got chicken in the salad. Um, so I didn't do that. I just took a small, like, side salad with a little bit of chicken in it. Um, and then I took a turkey and bacon sandwich, because they had all these sandwiches, like, provided. And I just ate the turkey, bacon, lettuce, and tomato and put the bread back in the little baggie that it came in. It was just like, anybody want my bread? Nobody wanted my bread, Corey. I was sad. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought someone would surely not let me throw away a piece of delicious bread, but no. Um, Do you remember when Panera was nothing but bagels? No. Uh, I, I remember only ever having bagels from there, but I didn't know that was ever a thing. Um, yeah, they only had bagels, and I think they had soup. We used to like hmm. always pick them up on our way home when we went to Orlando because it was right ah. across from the Florida Mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know their bread yeah. bowls uh, with the soup is very popular, but um, I do like they have a really good turkey chili, which I, I don't think I can eat now because of the beans and stuff. But um, this have, diet just I'm so proud of you, but I just you I know what? Just, it, it, you know, it, it's a training thing. Like, it's definitely like you have to get in the mindset that 
food was not ever meant to be how we often treat food. Like, it was meant to be don't die. It's fuel. Yeah, yeah it's so, supposed to be fuel for your body. But I just can't live I, my life that way. I get it. And I, I hope to get to a point where I can return some normalcy of, of eating, where, like, I can have... I'd still not ever go back to where it was, like, like four times a day just indulging. But, you know, yeah. have a day where I can indulge and have, like... Or have a to, treat every once in a while. Yeah, but I, I, I really... Um, Kevin Smith, and I've said this to friends, I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast or not, but Kevin Smith is... Um, he was one, the first director that I was aware of as a director um, outside of, like, the big names, like, outside of Spielberg. But, like, you know, when I when I found Mallrats, which is the first film that I got into, mainly because I was a Mallrat, so there was a movie. I was like, oh, my God, it's made for me. Um, He's been an inspiration to me multiple times in my life. He was, like, again, the first person who, like, I really started to look at filmmakers and not just the films that I was watching. And then when I got... um when I was working at FYE, I was given his biography by a coworker. Um, and I read the bio and I was really like, man, I'm really into this, interested in this. I wonder what this podcasting thing is he's talking about, which made me start listening to his podcast. And that got me to do this. So he's been, uh, multiple stages of my life and influence. And then, um, him having the heart attack last year and almost dying, uh, it really scared me. Like, and it, it like, I don't agree. I don't like his last couple of movies. I like Tusk more than most people. I, I hate I like Hosea. Tusk so much. I've, yeah, there's something about the B-horror that I just enjoyed in that. And I love Justin Long. I can't get that away. I, I like Justin Long. I, oh, man. Um, and, and I love Red State. And Cop Out is awful. But I like... I, I don't even know if I like parts of it. I like v- scenes in the movie. Um, but yeah, I don't love a lot of his stuff in between. And I don't like the stuff he's directed for the most part that he didn't write. Um, I'm very, very hopeful that this Jay and Silent Bob reboot will be good. I'm very apprehensive about that. But nonetheless, um, him almost dying jarred me to, like, make a change. And so, again, I, I know a lot of times we talk nothing about movies. That's all we do. And I obsess over film at a level that's probably unhealthy. But I do think um, that films can inspire and motivate and, and change. And also I think the people that make them can do the same. And in this case... Um, I'm 36. Kevin Smith is like 10 years older than me, and um, we were the same size. And so, it was seeing him change and make this huge lifestyle change really prompted me this year to uh, start. And I'm I still have a long way to go. Um, and then my personal friend and editor David Ortega, um, who helps out with book reviews, he went to Tribeca with me. Um, he did keto and is still on keto, in fact. But he's had great success, and uh, we were the same size. And so. He's been uh, very supportive, and it is. This is not a, a weight loss podcast, but you know, we we do talk about our personal stuff a little it's bit. Like for friends, yeah. And I'm at this point because um, I haven't talked about it. I've been I've been trying since January different things. I started very very basic, um, you know, just eating less and trying not to eat out as much and things like that. Um, but going to the gym, and then about two months ago, I started really like, okay, I need to make a bigger change. Like I'd lost a little bit of weight, but I, I definitely stag like, you know, stale, staled on it. So I, uh, I needed to go into something more and I, and he was having success on keto. And I was like, all right, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. And here I have a friend who's doing it and I'm seeing the results. I can't argue with them. And I like meat enough that I can, you know, work around things. And I like eggs quite a bit, which you really have to like eggs. I eat so many freaking eggs. Um, See, I like eggs, but, like, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, 
Just the thought of like the texture of scrambled eggs makes me want to throw See, up. That I know never, that's weird. So far, it never happened. I know that's I, so I weird. Like, no, no. Uh, I, a lot of people don't like it. My daughter will not eat eggs. Like, she'll eat boiled eggs. That's it. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, with that, um, apart, I, I definitely, the last three years dedicated to com. I gained some weight because I was watching so many movies and not working out because I'm like, well, I don't have time. I have to do this and this and this and this. So this year I had to make that change also and like kind of schedule, which is why I'm watching a little less. But I'm I'm picking up again because now summertime and my uh, my curriculums are better built in my classes, so I'm a little little more free time. Um, so I've seen quite a bit of movies since we last recorded because we recorded on a Wednesday last time uh, in our last episode for Dead Man. So I want to start. I'm just gonna kind of power through these and I might come back to a couple. Uh, saw Brightburn, um, the what if Superman was evil kind of story. Uh, I was really disappointed with the story. I liked the um, the murder scenes, if you will, of the film, the horror scenes, but the the, the connective tissue between them is really poorly written, and I was really, really disappointed. Um, this is a sh- uh, very short thing I watched, but um, Corey, you're a fan of Lonely Island, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know how to answer that question because I don't like oh. follow them. Got closely well, but I, I have really enjoyed some of their music. i like a lot of their songs and i am a really big fan of pop star never stop never stopping um they're kind of satire spoof of the justin bieber never say never it's like a musical biopic um they're not being lonely island they're playing characters that are fictional but the music's great and it's just a really funny movie underappreciated um but they did a uh the lonely island dropped this they're calling it a visual poem um, called The Lonely <laughs> Island Presents The Unauthorized Bash Brothers Experience, and it dropped on Netflix last week. It's only 30 minutes, and it's like it's basically like a 30-minute linked-up music video that has very little connective tissue, but it's about Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire in the 80s. And it's so great. And I, I was a fan of baseball a lot when I was a kid, very big fan of the Oakland A's as a kid because mainly they were green and they were in the World Series. I think that was the first World Series like I was aware of like watching it with my grandpa and stuff and so i loved this short and if you're a fan of lonely island i definitely recommend you check it out or if you're a fan of like making fun of uh athletes for using steroids there's a lot of that in the songs um it's really funny uh book smart i saw on saturday my favorite movie of the year i think right now um it clicked for me completely uh, I wrote 1,200 words on it, and that is up at BerkReviews.com. Yeah, um, when David edited, I got a comment from him that I just finished proofing your dis, uh, doctoral dissertation, <laughs> and yes. I was like, all right, <laughs> did, I, did I say too much? But um, spoiler-free, mind you, 1,200 words with no spoilers. Um, I had a lot to say about it. Uh, I rewatched, but um, with my wife for the first time, Isn't It Romantic, the uh, Rebel Wilson movie from earlier this year. Um, I really do enjoy this movie. I don't think it's a perfect movie. Um, it's a it's a satire of rom coms that at the same time feels like it's a love letter to rom coms, and then maybe not. It's it's just kind of I, I it's really Adam Devine that I like a whole lot, and to me it's Rebel Wilson's best performance, period, like hands down. It's one of the only times I feel like the director isn't allowing her to just kind of go crazy and improv. Um, she feels way more controlled and contained than she usually does, and I think it works. Um, so my wife enjoyed the film as well, but that prompted me because I remember hearing when it came out, um, this movie, uh, this other rom-com satire that was supposed to be way better and had already done all of the satirical stuff, um, that came out earlier. Now I didn't know any details, so I had to like Google it, found out the movie was called They Came Together and I'm like, okay, 
And then I look at the cover, I'm like, oh, I've seen this cover. It's Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd. And I'm like, why didn't I watch this? Because those two actors are draws for me, especially Paul Rudd. If you've listened to this show at all, anytime we've covered a Paul Rudd movie, I, I rave about him. I, I think he's amazing. I just really, really love Paul Rudd. Might be my favorite actor who I've just never acknowledged is my favorite actor, but I love him so, so much. Ugh, but, I just love him. So I, I buy this movie. And then I find out that it was available to stream for free on Vudu. But nonetheless, I bought this movie. And um, then I'm looking at the cast list, and I'm, like, blown away. It's directed by David Wayne, who uh, also did, I believe, um, The Hot, Wet Hot American Summer, the, uh, both the movie and the show. Oh. He did Role Models, which is one of my favorite Paul Rudd comedies. Um, he did Wanderlust, which I like with Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston. So clearly a Paul Rudd fan, um, as Paul Rudd's in all of the movies I just listed. Um but then, uh, so in this movie, it's also uh, written by Michael Showalter, who's involved with Wet Hot American Summer and a bunch of other really great comedies. But this movie has such a huge cast. I could not believe I had never heard about it other than recently and that I didn't see it myself. Um, I'm not even going to list it all, but they came together. It came out in 2014. If you like rom-coms and you like satire, this movie is for you because it's going to mock the crap out of them in the best ways possible. Um definitely worth watching uh then we went and saw aladdin on tuesday night um way better than i expected uh still not not as good as the cartoon jafar is horrible so so bad but will smith worked and he uh, he's so charming I, i think it boils down to if you're a fan of will smith's movies in general it is hard not to love his moments in aladdin because he is will smith he is charming it does feel a little bit like hitch 2 um especially because there's a subplot that mirrors a major plot point in hitch 2 um that was added to the live action version of aladdin that's not in the the animated version at all and uh the more i think about that the more i'm like this was hitch 2 they made hitch 2 in aladdin and i don't like hitch that much so um but at least kevin james is in it so then we watch sunset boulevard and then yesterday, Corey, I saw Godzilla, King of Monsters. And I was yes. a little heartbroken, Corey. Oh, were you? Yeah. Yeah. I really wanted this movie to be, like, my favorite movie of the year. And it's it's one of my least favorite movies of the year. Um, I, I really did not like it. Uh, I was so, so surprised at how bad the dialogue was. And I don't expect these movies to have great dialogue. But I also don't expect to sit with the dialogue so, so much then. You know, I want like, oh no, this is happening. Cut to monster destroying building. Cut back. You know, it's so, it feels so long. And it is long. It's two hours and like 12 minutes. It should have been an hour and a half. Um, There are some cool nods to old Godzilla films. There's some really cool monsters. I don't love the visuals. Um, I'm still kind of like fine-tuning my review. Um, On the other hand, Big Tuna says it might be his favorite movie of the year, which is so crazy how he and i can see eye to eye on some movies and then polar opposites on other movies um you know i don't know um he did see it on a uh, laser projected 40x screen i believe um and i just saw it on our 2d regular you know local theater so i do wonder if the projection maybe looks better uh with the cg on like the laser projection but you know i don't know if that's enough to save the movie like especially to that degree um, critics have been hating it, uh, and fans have been l- raving about it, but I'm like, but, but even, that doesn't make sense to me, because I don't see the appeal, because, like, 
if you've seen other movies, you're going to recognize like really generic bad writing in the in the dialogue. Like it's so like those moments are just like, "Uh-oh, you're not going to believe this. She would never do that." It's just like so bad. You just sounded like Marky Mark. Uh wow, good for me. Um <laughs> You know, I've been trying to work on my Marky Mark impression, but um that's what I've been watching. I didn't get to see anything yet today. I may watch uh, I'm kind of I just I've been listening to the Blank Check podcast a lot. Um, I just finished the Cameron Crowe uh, series where they watched all of Cameron Crowe's films, um, and then uh, so I've I've listened to the M Night Shyamalan series they've done, the Wachowski series that they've done, um, the Tim Burton series that they did, uh, and I feel like there was oh and the Cameron Crowe. So I'm like, okay, what's next? And I, oh, oh, I did miss one. I did. I listened to their Christopher Nolan series, and so I still have a few that I've not heard. And uh, James Cameron is the one I just started, um, and I, I skipped the first episode, but I I'm on the Terminator episode <laughs> because it was Avatar. No, they go in order. You see his, James Cameron? Yeah. Do you know what his first film was? Piranha Two. Uh, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I was thinking, never mind. Yeah, so James Cameron's first film was Piranha 2. Uh, I've never seen, and I also, I don't think I ever will. And so I skipped it, and based on the first five minutes of the episode where they kind of say how they'll never watch Piranha 2 again, I'm pretty sure I'm okay with skipping that one. But uh, listening to the Terminator episode made me want to revisit Terminator. It's been a long time since I've <laughs> seen Terminator, so I might watch that when we get done with this recording. But um, what have you been watching, Cord? Well, I'm uh, almost done with season two of Six Feet Under. Mm. I'd have mentioned this is my third rewatch, my third watch. Um, but I love how, like, at different places in my life, I notice different things or it means something different. But yeah. no episode does. There hasn't been an episode that hasn't, like, made me feel very deeply. It's very emotional. And... I want to be friends with whoever, like, came up to, like, like chose the songs for this, like, the series, and I really want them to reissue that soundtrack. Well, issue, I don't think it's ever been re uh, put on vinyl, but issue it on vinyl, but I want them to expand it, because, like, the music and it is just, like, I've, I noticed before, but I'm just, it's blowing me away this time, and then, um... I only have seen one movie that I can think of. Um, on Sunday, we went to see Booksmart and died. Died. Oh. And again, again, let's talk about the soundtrack. Oh, my God. <laughs> so good. I, I, I loved saw... that movie so much. Yes, I do, too. And now I'm forgetting his name that we're talking about it. But I, uh, the, like, the boy that's, like, friends with the weird girl. Well, now you gotta elaborate on the weird girl. Do you mean Gigi? Yes, Gigi's friend. So the rich kid. Yeah, the rich kid. Um, he, hold on, I'm pulling up the name. I knew until I started talking. It starts by, with J. Uh, it's Jared. He plays Skylar Gizondo. Well, it's interesting you bring Jared up, Corey. You remember early in the movie, he's wearing a t-shirt with his face on it. That yeah, it, and that shirt I, has another shirt of his face on it, and so on. There are so, three. Yes. Um, that's a shirt you can order. And what? buy it online. Yes, that is a shirt you can actually own. Is it on their website? I don't know. Um, I, I have a link I will send to you. Please. Uh, Big Tuna um, pointed it out to me, and I believe he's uh, purchased one. Um, so, yeah, it's a real shirt. Uh, I feel like I need that in my life. But, I man, I loved 
so much about that movie and uh if you i'm a big fan of coming of age stories uh, which we've talked we actually have done a top five movies on it and whatnot and um this uh that's where why i had so much to say about it it's a genre that i'm very very familiar with i don't i feel like there's maybe one major like film in the genre that i've not seen and it's um based on like looking through lists it's uh but i'm a cheerleader from 1999 i believe oh Uh, my god i love that movie never seen it it's like one of the only ones that are on these lists that i've looked at that i've not seen and when i realized the cast yeah i couldn't believe that i hadn't seen it uh the cast is from michelle williams is in it um rupaul uh yeah and uh yeah so and it's a gay conversion like comedy which is interesting because like that last year i saw miseducation cameron post there's humor in it i wouldn't straight up call it a comedy but it's definitely comedic um and then the much less comedic uh boy erased with lucas uh, hedges um and nicole kidman and uh, russell crowe um i saw last year and, and so i was like man this movie there was a movie that predates those by quite a bit um, and there's other uh, gay conversion camp type movies, but, um, yeah, I'm very, uh, very interested in checking that one out, but Booksmart, I'm glad you saw it. I didn't realize that you'd gone to see it, so. Yeah, um, I, you know, I was trying to, like, talk Bill. we've been going to, like, a movie, you know, we've been going to see a movie, like, a week, and, uh, I just really wanted to see it, and he was not interested, so I asked my friend Danica... And we had such a good time. Except I need to complain again because we were the first people who bought tickets in our theater. Mm-hmm. I use the Fandango app and I get free $5 off. So my ticket was super cheap this time. And we were the only ones who bought tickets. And then the next day we go and the theater is not even full. Like maybe 25 or 30%. It's not much at all. And this group of, like, five people, five girls just come and sit right beside me. And one of them, like, can't be off of her phone and Snapchat and everything for, like, uh, uh, don't sit by me. Just, like, a seat or two away, guys. Just, And I felt kind of rude, but I, like, got up. My friend moved down a seat, and I got up, and I went on the other side of her. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I try not to get on my phone, although I sometimes I just can't help it or I get... Especially if there's, like, an actor, I'm like, oh, who is that? I'll have to, like, look. But I try to, like, try to keep my screen down low, or I try to... I also try to sit off to the side when that's an option, like, when they have the side rows of seats. Because usually I can be, like, isolated and alone, so I'm not bothering someone if I do check my phone or whatever. Um, But, yeah, there are some people who just do not care about that whatsoever. Um, But, um... Well, that's what we've been watching. And... Um, I, I really wish more people would go see Booksmart. Um, I was really shocked that my local theater got it, and I, I, I've been advocating for it every chance I get. Um, it is so funny. It is one of the best comedies I've seen in recent years. Like, it is, there's so much, I, like, I would laugh, I'm like, I would think about a scene later on and start laughing. Like, it's so well made, and it's so well acted, um, and there's little things, and, uh, it's raunchy like, without being overly raunchy. Like, it's just, man. Like, there, is it Beanie Fieldstein? Feldstein? Beanie Fieldstein. Or Feldstein, Feldstein I think. Um, We're fans of you. I don't know how to pronounce your name, but. Um, so much. She is just so hilarious. And the genuine, like, shock she displays on her face so many times in oh, the movie. Man. Just. She's, she's so good at, like, every part of acting. Like, her face is amazing. Like, she's so expressive. 
um, her ability to give dialogue and uh, I mean that was in Lady Bird. This she's she plays the best friend in Lady Bird and um, she's clearly in love with her her math teacher. Yes, and it's just these little <sighs> moments where you're like you're just looking <sighs> at her and you just you know what's in her head because of how expressive she is. And I, I just think she's such a great actress. Um, she's only done a few movies too. She's done this, uh, Booksmart, Lady Bird, and um, Neighbors Two. She's one of the sorority sisters that starts the the new sorority with Chloe Grace Moretz, which it's fine. I don't love that one. She does have a crazy scene where she gets, um, she wakes up in Seth Rogen's car, I think, and then she like flies through the windshield or something. It, it's not the best movie, but. Man, Booksmart is so great, and I don't want to undersell because the other girl is also really, really good, and she's in a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm gonna, I, I cannot remember her name to save my life, but she's in a bunch of stuff. Um, Caitlin Dever, uh, she's really good in this as well. She's in Short Term Twelve, which is an amazing movie. She was in Beautiful Boy last year, The Spectacular Now, um, Detroit, mm. Bad Teacher. I've seen all of those, and she's in a new film that I'm, I've heard is really great, Them That Follow. Uh, directed by Britt Poulton and Daniel Savage. Um, I've heard it's very, very good, and I want to see that movie. I want... I can't wait to see what else Olivia Wilde, like... Yeah. ...does, because she just got my humor. She got... Not only did she get a really, like, to me, like, it's a very great comedy, but there are some really cool visual elements in this film. Like, the, uh, the now kind of tropish drug sequence... Um, that has popped up in a few minutes. Really cool visually. There's an yeah. amazing musical number that I thought was shot really, really cool. Like, it's just, she's she's got more ambition than you get out of a lot of comedies like this. And I, I think that's another reason why people should go see this movie is it's it's more than just, you know, dick jokes. It's It's got substance. There's meaning and there's there's cinematic elements that you don't get in a lot of, you know, studio comedies. And I just... I thought it was terrific. Um, really, really encouraged if you were going to the movies and you're not sure what to see and you don't mind some swearing and some uh, profane, you know, profane content. Um, give it a go. There is uh, almost no nudity. I think there's a like a brief nudity in a swimming pool, but it's like it literally swims past you for like half a second. There are some sexual situations, but uh, no nudity in them. Um, lots of conversation about stuff though. Uh, you will hear some things, but, um, yeah, very, 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 very funny. Um, all right. Love it. We're not here to review Booksmart, but I can't, I, am I'm, I'm more tempted to go, I haven't rewatched Endgame yet. Like I've seen Endgame once. I'm more tempted to go watch Booksmart a second time. No offense to Endgame, but I just, I think Booksmart is the type of movie that I will end up rewatching many, many times. Um, I could see it being like another house bunny or mean girls to me. Yeah. And for me, it's, um, you know, recent comedies have not done that for me, but I have, I've rewatched mean girls a dozen times and I've seen house bunny at four or five. Um, so those have been rewatched super bad. I like super bad. Um, I don't think it's as great as maybe people have memory of. I do like it. Um, but I find like Jonah Hill and oh. Michael Sarah to be a lot more obnoxious, um, where I love the characters in Booksmart. Like I never felt like they were obnoxious. Like maybe a little, but I feel like you know they're like likably obnoxious. You know, like there's something endearing about their their quirks. Where I like Jonah Hill, you're like, dude, stop! Why are you drawing dicks? Um, and I'm sorry, I've said dicks three times now, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's 
it's apparently relevant. It's fine. But let's move on. Um, we'll get to Sunset Boulevard, the movie of the week. Um, 180. This film from 1950 is a dramatic film noir, uh, the plot synopsis on IMDb is a screenwriter develops a dangerous relationship with a faded film star determined to make a triumphant return. Um, stars William Holden, which do you recognize that name and uh, what we've recently watched him in? Mm. 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 No. He, he is in Network, which we watched at the beginning of this month. Um, oh, Max yeah. Schumacher. He's the mad guy. Uh, he's not the mad guy. He is the, oh, the I guy, he was a mad guy who follows like, the relationship and whatnot. Um, like he's kind of the main guy in the in network. Um, he's not the, the mad one, but yeah. Well, they they kind of look similar. Um, you get Gloria Swanson playing Norma Desmond. Gloria Swanson was a silent movie star, um, so she's actually in a way this role is somewhat autobiographical, which is interesting though because not she's not the only silent film star in this movie. Um, I don't know if you caught the cameo, but Buster Keaton plays himself um, in the... There's a scene where they're playing bridge. And, I was looking for him. Yeah. And um, I... He's got such an iconic face. I, I'm surprised you didn't... Like, bam, there he is. Um, but also H.B. Warner, who I'm less familiar with, but he's a silent film star who plays himself in the, the game. And I think Anna Q. Nilsson was the other one playing uh, bridge with her. But um, And then uh, Eric Von Stroheim um, plays Max, the, uh, the butler, which we'll get into spoilers the significance of max um and then nancy olsen as betty schaefer who she looks so familiar to me and it's just i guess the look of that kind of big-eyed hopeful character um i really liked her a whole lot directed as i said by billy wilder who uh directed in my opinion the best film noir movie of all time double indemnity i'm sure that's not a hot take but i love double indemnity so much um i also love uh his comedies um the apartment and some like it hot. I'm a real big fan of the apartment. In fact, um, I've not seen Sabrina, which is another one of his that I need to uh, add to my watch list here. Well, it's on my watch list, but I need to actually watch it. Um, but yeah, I, I like Billy Wilder quite a bit. I've not seen a lot of his movies, but I've seen uh, four big ones now. Um, with Double Indemnity just being one that I've watched a few times at this point, and I've taught that one. Uh, now. Before we get into our take on this, we start with a spoiler-free review, and I do want to give a little bit of a preface. Is Corey not a fan, <laughs> traditionally, of the film noirs that we've watched for this podcast? Um, which we haven't done too many. We've done mainly neo-noir. Thank God. Uh, we did Chinatown, um, which you hated. I loved. Um, and there was Brick. Did we do Brick? Yep. Yep, the Ryan Johnson neo-noir with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which... I feel like you liked a little more than Chinatown, but still didn't love. I I feel like it was kind of equal, but for different reasons. Okay. So, Corey, what we've decided, or at least what I've decided about Corey, is she doesn't like movies that end on down notes, and film noir often does. Um, there is very rarely a happy ending in a film noir. Because they're fatalistic, and it's just that's how it's going to go. So, I love them. Um, I have not seen nearly enough of them, to be honest. I have a lot of gaps in the noir genre, but the ones that I've seen and the neo-noirs that I've seen have uh, almost always 100% work for me. Um, and uh, I will go ahead and say this one also worked for me on a whole other level. 
Um, one, I didn't realize what I was getting into. I, I did well, the week before I saw that it was noir, but I didn't realize it was noir. Um, I also didn't know that it was about the film industry, which is something that I get very into. Every movie I've seen that is about the filmmaking process, I adore. Um, I mean, from uh, Hail Caesar, the Coen's film that is about the film industry, uh, Barton Fink, which is another Coen film that's about the the screenwriting process, um, to uh, man, I'm going to forget stuff, but Ed Wood, the, the Tim Burton film about the infamously bad director star, uh, starring Johnny Depp. I love Ed Wood. It's probably my favorite Tim... I think it is my favorite Tim Burton film. Well, behind Batman, but that's because I'm a Batman fanatic. Um, and things like that, um, I really tend to, to click with in this movie. Uh, not only did it click with me, but I watched this really awesome uh, analysis on YouTube after watching the movie that... Um, I got, I love movies to a point, Corey, where um, I, I get emotional when I think about how important they are and and don't feel like enough people understand it. And I don't know that I'm right, mind you, but that is how I feel. And so this video, which I'm looking up, I want to give credit to uh, the, the YouTube channel and whatnot for it because I'm going to probably talk about some of the things they talked about in their analysis, um, it's uh, the YouTube channel is called The Take, and it is the Sunset Boulevard Explained the Hollywood Nightmare. I thought it was a very, very well put together uh, video piece. I actually meant to send it to you so you could watch it um, before we recorded, but I got distracted. Um, so my bad. Way to go, friend. Yep, I'm great. Uh, but um, I, I just was totally into this film. I thought the performances were really strong. Um, I was not familiar with... Um, I mean, other than having recently watched the network, I was not familiar with any of the actors, um, other than you know Buster Keaton. I'm very familiar with, but uh, he's not in the movie, but for like thirty seconds. But um, I hadn't seen them in anything. I really liked everybody. I thought the story was really compelling. Um, it it is a neo noir, so it does or not neo noir. Sorry, it's a noir uh, of the time that noirs were being made. Um, so it, it's going to hit a lot of the beats that you would expect a noir to hit, but it is in a different way. Um, you're not looking at a detective. You're, you're looking at a screenwriter um, and his connection with this actress. Um, but yeah, I, I really like this movie. I actually kind of am ready to jump right back into it because now that I've watched this YouTube video, I'm like, I want to rewatch this again. Um, it's one that I will likely be teaching next year. Uh, as we are teaching the, I'm teaching the noir genre at one point in my film two class next year. So this will probably be one of the two noir films that they watch. Um, even though it's, it's going to be hard. Cause I always try, I try to show one older film and then one more modern film to like appease them a little bit. Like, look, get, I'll give you one you and you give me one. Um, and it'll be hard to pick this over double indemnity. Cause again, I still think double indemnity is better. Um, and there's uh, people would argue there's better overall overall noir but I, I like this one because it's a film class i'm trying to teach them film appreciation as well so i feel like looking at the industry and and what this movie's saying about like how writers were treated the studio system how actresses were treated how the silent era stars were kind of shoved to the side when talkies came out there's a lot of commentary on the industry that um as a person who has dedicated now a big chunk of my life to studying film um I really appreciate and enjoyed. So, sorry. Uh, I want to hear what you thought because I am curious if this one has broken the curse 
or if it stays the, the course. Uh, Corey, what did you think of Sunset Boulevard? I didn't hate it. Um, there um, is something about the movie that I really did not like that I'll talk about in spoilers. spoilers. Okay. Um, but I kept waiting to hate it because you shouldn't have told me it was noir. <laughs> you yeah. shouldn't have told me because I was just waiting the whole time. Um, but agreed. I thought that it was very interesting to see, like, because we've heard about that transition in film from the silent films to the talkies. But I think, in, I mean, this wasn't, when did they start having... When did they start having? When, when did they start? start? Yeah. Um, I think it's. Uh, I'm gonna be wrong with the date. I don't. I'm looking feel... at the Jazz Singer was the first film to have talking uh, characters. 1927. So by 1933, so, talkies were the norm. I mean, this wasn't. This was. This was released in 1950. I don't feel like that's a very far from when you know that shift started to happen so i appreciated seeing that keep in mind too and uh two years later 1952 singing in the rain comes out and also deals with that transition from um talkies never from ever seen that are you kidding me nope and it's a musical correct yeah why didn't we watch that for the musical month Corey? because i mm -hmm. that's one of the best movies ever made i love singing in the rain like that is oh my god that I've seen like parts, you know. I've seen like some of the oh, yes, yeah, like three of the most <laughs> iconic musical numbers ever. I and love Debbie I Reynolds. Feel your shock right now. Uh, I, 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 really, I don't think that was not my favorite month. Like, yeah, I know, and that's why I'm even more disappointed because like we could have watched Singing in the Rain. You probably would have liked it because it is such a like. The, my students are very often apprehensive about musicals, and they I've yet to find a large portion of them to not like this movie. Like, they... Singing in the Rain just works because... Hey, well, I can't do another musical month. No, but we have to figure out a way. Maybe we do, like... I don't we know. could maybe do an actor or an actress. Well, Debbie like, Reynolds, month. but she's only got a couple, unfortunately, because... Um, but, you know, Debbie Reynolds is... Um, um, Carrie Fisher's mother. I was like, I was like Princess yes. Leia, Princess Leia, Princess Leia. I'm like, no, don't say Princess Leia. Um, dang Star Wars nerd. But, um... Man, I don't know what we could pull off. I mean, Gene Kelly's we... gonna be all musicals. Like everything's gonna be a musical. So Ugh, never mind. We'll just have to I'm find like, something else. Have to figure out some other way I to can't end. Do Maybe it. we could do like a year. We could do like or a decade, like movies from the fifties or something. You know? Um, okay. Because or we could do movies that have a ninety-nine rating on Metacritic because it's such a great movie, Corey. Um, sorry, but <laughs> I didn't realize that was on your gap list because that is that's yeah. one of my favorite films. Um man okay uh sorry back to sunset boulevard um but yeah singing in the rain has a very similar setup because it's it's set uh with a silent film star and then now talkies become the thing and can he transition is kind of like what singing in the rain is about and or how do they transition and at first it looks like he's not going to be able to and then music becomes the solution by singing in the film one of the reasons why i think you won't dislike it is it's not um some of the songs they still happen out of context, but a lot of them do happen in context of like, well, people would sing because they're making movies about people singing. So it would work. Um, but it's so great. Anyways. Um, I will. It sounds like you didn't hate it. And that's important to me. Cause I, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. like, um, I used to be very quick to say I didn't like a whole genre. 
um, for a long time, I would say I didn't like musicals, even though... I didn't think that this one was as... I mean, we're going to talk about the ending, of course, and, I mean, it wasn't, you know... Well, this movie, very similarly to Double Indemnity, kind of starts at the end, um, and then we are getting voiceover narration flashback for the the rest of the film. So, like, starts with a, a dead character in a pool, and um, we jump back six months, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, we then go from that point to how that person ended up dead in the pool. Um, and to be honest, I don't know if it was myself or if they... I, I didn't realize for a little while who the person in the pool was, which is why I'm not saying who it was. Um, and I don't know if that's just me being bad with faces because, like, I have to see a face a few times before it, like, sticks that that's that person. Um, so I didn't recognize the person in the pool with the, the person that it is. Um, immediately. And I don't know if that was on me or if the movie didn't want me to know. Like, I, I'm not... I kind of got the feeling it was obvious, but that still, like, it wasn't immediately, like, stated. Like, outright stated. But mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, and I could have just been, like, dirt-dirt-dirt, missed a missed major detail. Um, but, um... So, we, we meet the rider. Uh, he's down on his luck. He's super broke. Um, so much so that his car is getting repoed. And I don't, this is, we usually do this more in spoiler, but, um, this is not a spoiler. This is the very beginning of the film. And, uh, right away I'm like, it's not a traditional noir because it's not really a detective story. Like a lot of noir films feature a detective, um, not all, but many and, or at least some type of like solving of a crime. Um, and there is a set, I mean, there's a dead guy in a pool. And so in a way we're going to see how the guy ended up being dead. So there is a crime but we're not really like investigating a crime. We are looking at, you know, this guy who's down on his luck and how he encounters um, almost good fortune, but not really like this kind of crazy, fatalistic kind of attitude and the uh, uh, the opinions of the industry and what they do to the writers. There's a lot of, um, in fact, a lot of the criticisms about the studio system uh, here you hear now in like modern day you hear people kind of criticizing the same. Um, concept, you know, with like writers not being um, really allowed to be oh. creative, or writers uh, work and being completely bastardized by the studios. Or it wasn't that long ago. What, like 10, 11 years ago, there was that big strike for like the tel- the writers for yeah. television. Yeah, yeah, during like, uh, Lost season three, if I'm not mistaken, because that's where there's a weird gap. Um, it's either three or four where there's a huge gap in uh, what's happening and you note the difference when there's no writers but yeah um the writers are are often mistreated i mean the bigger right now uh the worst studio issue is with the cg artist um they are there's like almost no like regulations um it's it's a it's a terrible situation for the cg artists because they're all contracted um so like they are they have to they're a studio says we need this work done how much will you do it like how much will we have to pay you to do it and so they're bidding on it so like there's a bunch of different companies all bidding like uh, <sighs> trying to outbid each other so they end up taking a bid that's way unreasonable like way too low and then they have to you know pay all their employees still to it in order to finish the the contract but then they don't make enough money and their business goes out like there's been several instances where cg companies 
who win like the Oscar are now bankrupt because they didn't have the thing. There's a really cool documentary on YouTube called um, Life After Pi about the company that did all the effects for Life of Pi. And, oh. Uh, it's a really eye-opening kind of look into the world of that is still, and that's like 10 years old now, I think, and it's still not fixed. It's still a major issue within the, the system right now. So, um, th- like, this movie kind of, in a lot of ways, the, it's crazy to think this came out in 1950, and a lot of the commentary, a lot of the issues that this film takes with the studio system still apply um, today. In fact, um, the aging out of our actresses, uh, you know, there's you see that happen still now, where a lot of actresses, once they hit a certain age, they are relegated to background characters, or they uh, they are never given a lead. We've seen an influx now of like these older romances, like uh, Old Man and the Gun, the Sissy Spacek and Robert Redford storyline, is is very very charming. But it's a small indie film; it's not a major studio, you know, rom com. Um, and there was another. Boy. Oh. Um, uh, Millennium Man, which is I think that's what it's called. With um, it's not Millennium Man. What is it called? It's the new um, John Lithgow and Blythe Danner movie. I'm gonna look it up. Um, cause that movie's really good and it's it's out now or it might be almost to home video. Um, I saw it at the Gasparilla Film Festival, and I'm buying time. The Tomorrow Man. I was way off. The Tomorrow Man uh, came out this, this year. Um, it's not got great reviews, but I like rom-coms, and it's definitely a rom-com. John Lithgow, Blythe Danner, um, but it's like an old-person rom-com. It's a trend we're starting to see now that for a long time you didn't see because actresses that were too old were just now, you're going to play the grandma or you're going to play the, the matronly you know mentor who will guide the young pretty girl. And uh, that's a lot of what this movie's commentary is about is with our actress who is, um, we don't really understand why she was pushed out of talkies like there's nothing about her voice that says she uh, couldn't have been they mentioned that she was difficult to work with though they do and um she definitely doesn't seem to like dialogue um that's mentioned a few times and that's again norma is our character name um and she definitely comes off as uh, she's obsessed with stardom she's obsessed with being on screen with fans and that whole side of it um with celebrity the idea of celebrity and um, and it, by the way, again, I mentioned that I watched that video. Uh, the channel was The Take, um, so I might be borrowing some ideas from there. I don't know for sure at this point what I saw in the video. I could not tell you what the video says for sure. I have my thoughts, and I have the thoughts of the video all meshed together in my brain because I watched the movie and the video two days ago. So um, do know that there's a good chance I'm quoting things from that video. I apologize if I'm not saying that's where it's coming from. But I have said that that's where I watched. So, because um, I'm pretty sure the whole thing on celebrity was mentioned in theirs. But I I clicked with a lot of that, and I really um, the the performances from both characters I just think are brilliant. And I also really loved um, Nancy Olsen. But um, I guess we should get to spoilers because we've we've been talking for a little while. Uh, Corey, give him the warning. Guys, from here on out, we're going to talk about Sunset Boulevard from 1950 in great detail. You've been warned. And if you haven't seen this, I recommend it. Um, You will have to rent or buy it. Uh, I don't believe it's streaming on anything. Um, But if you like film noir, if you like Billy Wilder, um, and honestly, if you've ever heard the line, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille, which has been quoted on tons of things, that's where this line originates. Um, 
I didn't realize that. At least I think this is where it originates because it's the oldest instance of it I've I've seen. Um, but yeah, um, I I tons and tons of cartoons used to reference it when I was a kid, and I remember always hearing it, not knowing who De- DeMille was, who he's playing himself. CC uh, C- DeMille, I think, is what his name is. Um, CCB DeMille, uh, he is playing himself in the movie. So a real director, but playing with a fictional actress who is actually an actress who had been kind of phased out of the industry because of silent era now norma at the point we're joining her it's like been 20 years since the silent films have ended so her career is over now for many reasons um but she still has a lot of wealth well i i liked that about her character like she seemed very smart with her money and she had invested in things like i think she said she has like oil investments and she owns like three blocks downtown which i'm assuming is la and holy heck yeah and i kept waiting for um that to be all lies too and it's not it's one of the one things that she's apparently really honest about is that she's got tons of money um because i kept waiting for that to all be like not true um Mm -hmm. Because the, ha- the house is kind of run down, you know. Just... On the outside. Yes, yes, on the outside. Well, even, like, the garage apartment, though, like, it, it, yeah, it leaks. I mean, she's the only person who lives there. You're right. Um, but that's what, when they, like, open the doors to the this mansion that is just, would be freaking amazing if they kept it up. I was waiting for it to be, you know, like, run down inside, too, but it was so beautiful. Yeah, it was. The sets, the costumes in this movie are gorgeous, man. His suits that he gets, like, I'm not a suit guy. I'm, like, a shorts and t-shirt guy, but I was like, man, those those suits look nice. Sure. Like, I don't know if they, they would roll, like, in today's time, but to me, I thought they looked awesome. I was like, wow, he, especially from what he had originally, because he's wearing, like, pants that look like they were, like, hand-me-downs from somebody else that were, like, two sizes too big, and he's got, like, the same polo that he's rocking, like, every day. And then she's like, no, no, no. I'm going to dress you up. Like, he becomes... She's his sugar mama. And, like, he kind of doesn't realize that it's happening. It's really interesting how she, like, lures him into this, like, world where he is arm candy to her, you know? Except she doesn't really go anywhere. (laughs) That is a valid point, yeah. Um, But she still shows him off and parades him around with, like, the silent... Because, like, when she's playing bridge and he's, like, sitting next to her, watching her play cards... Yes, it's so weird and, like... um, It's it's kind of a cool role reversal because it's, like, in Bond movies, you would see Bond playing cards and, like, the girl, like, hovering behind him. And it's, like, a role reversal here in 1950 where she is the one... which is ahead of the times yes which it's not uncommon billy wilder is really good with female characters in my opinions um uh the apartment um i know that some people may not agree but i feel like the way that the character is represented she has a lot of like strength and she's determined to kind of be her own person despite what society may say about her and i think there are some interpretations of the film where the movie is saying negative things about her but i feel like the movie's representing parts of what society would have said about the girl i know you have to see the movie to get all of what i'm saying but i think wilder's got a good take on female characters um some like it hot is a big marilyn monroe vehicle with jack lemon and the other guy whose name i'm not going to remember now um and while it in some ways it portrays marilyn monroe as the stereotypical dumb blonde um 
it also starts to reveal that that's just the dumb male gaze and that there's much more going on you know if you're willing to look past the superficial um and i think here again norma is um in a lot of ways she's very superficial she's you know she's so much more concerned with her appearance that when she does think she's getting her comeback she starts going through like all these crazy treatments in the 50s like things that i don't even know what was happening there was like a montage of different beauty treatments going on yeah no thanks yeah and not an insult to the movie i mean i don't think i'm supposed to know i think that's the whole point she's getting like high-end things done to her that other people wouldn't even know they exist kind of thing and um like she's so obsessed with that appearance um but uh i i love how everything kind of works in this movie i love the story with um with him uh who's i really uh, the names are not sticking for me um with uh joe gillis and um betty how they their relationship starts with betty as a, a reader um and how she criticizes his script uh you made a noise so is this the big ins- complaint you have with the movie i thought it was i don't know don't be macking on your friends girl um oh it's totally wrong oh uh-huh, yeah freaking engaged and oh jesus no this is not what i hated about it though oh especially because of Artie though because we don't meet Artie till like halfway through the movie we meet him at the new year's eve party and Artie seems like one of the best friends imaginable he's not like the jerk best friend who got the great girl that you kind of wish the girl wasn't with Artie's like the nice guy who like, come he, live he, at my house as long as you need to as long as you need to you can crash on the couch like he's so open and welcoming and, like, he makes a lot of dumb jokes, but they're all in the, the name of friendship. You know what I mean? Like, I loved Artie immediately. I was like, wow, Artie's great. Like, what a cool guy. Now, you got to wonder, I don't think he ever asked Artie for the $300. And he, I don't know if maybe he just knew Artie wouldn't have it or, like, what? Because Artie seems like his best friend, and he doesn't show up till like, halfway through the movie. So, um, but, yeah, well, I agree. I don't like that um, Betty and Artie are being torn but i also feel like joe tries to keep her at a distance but he's clearly into her yeah Mm. but what what's Uh, the i mean i don't know we don't usually go plot by plot point but what is the uh no we like yeah we just say what we want to say i hated so apparently there's like a whole it's a you know uh, narrated from the grave I saw ah. on the IMDb I would drop the F-bomb right here I effing hated that I thought it was cheesy I don't care that the movie was made in 1950 like what is what's happening well okay so the the I hated that noir trope is voiceover like you always have a character telling the story are they uh, always dead though the whole time no but it's not uncommon for a character to uh, die later now this um oh man there was a movie recently um maybe joy with uh jennifer lawrence where her grandma's telling the story but her grandma's dead at the beginning of the movie um and like uh, yeah she's I the have... one telling us the story of joy so i had to read william faulkner as i lay dying and i can appreciate that book so much for what it is but I, like, I had to read it for a class, so I had to finish it, 
And it was just, like, so hard to follow. And one of the narrators, because there were multiple narrators in the book, but was the grandmother. And she was, like, dead the whole time. And it's just... I just can't. Like, yeah. it, you just you just gave me this really good story. Why it couldn't it have been one of the people that was there as a reporter? Well, and that's why I, I wasn't sure that the guy in the pool was him for a good chunk of the movie. Because I'm like, well, he's narrating, so that wouldn't make sense. Um, yeah. And I, I also, I think it's a very interesting choice. I don't know that it's a choice that should have been made. I don't have a strong defense for it. Um, I don't feel like it ruins the movie, but it does make you question, like, well, wait, are we supposed to be dead? Like, who is he talking to? Because, um, oh, like, you haven't seen Dumble and, Double Indemnity, but the movie <laughs> starts off with um, the main character walking into um, an office that you're not really sure what the office is, but he uh, he's clearly hurt. And he starts recording his story to, like, a digital recorder. Well, not a digital recorder. An analog recorder. Like, he's talking into a voice recorder. And so then we flash back and we get the whole story. So the premise is that he is telling us the events that led up to that moment. But he's not dead yet. But it, Well, that makes so much more sense, though. So somebody finds a tape later and plays it for us or something. You know what I mean? Like, it just... Yeah. Like, you, the but, movie and the story were good, and then that just, like... But, so, here's... Sorry. The, the hypothetical here is... Well, no, because it's a recording. Yeah, there's no there's no evidence that he recorded it. Um, it could be maybe a commentary on screenwriting built into it, um, and I'm just thinking of this on the fly because I'm trying to think of why, why would you choose for your narrator to be dead? Um, and... It could be like maybe a commentary on like screenwriting and and tropes and breaking, um, you know, the, like this doesn't make sense, but it was a good studio note, like you know, oh, why don't you have the the dead guy tell his story? Um, like, oh, first full circle. And I mean, you could argue like it's like his life flashing before his eyes kind of thing, or um, he's dead in yeah. that pole. He's dead. Yes, he's very very dead. Um, no, what, I mean, shot twice in the chest and once in the back or something. Yeah, the the death was way more uh, brutal Graphic. than I was anticipating. Or, yeah, because yeah. um, I was thinking he got shot in the back and fell in, but like yeah, he. Gets... I, I mean, okay, so I sometimes I want characters to die. Oh, but like I I wasn't very invested in any of these people really. To be honest, I didn't really care about them, but I wasn't that upset that he died at the end. And I know that we keep going back to. Ch Chinatown, but I felt like everything was just so bad in Chinatown. I felt like it was the worst. Like, not it's not a bad film, and it was. I don't want to say it was a bad ending, but it to it's me it was a bad ending. ending. It's a down. It, but it was like yeah. everything bad. It wasn't just like one bad thing. No. it was like so many bad things. You're right. It's a cynical look, and that is generally viewed um, as cynicism. Like. Okay, so here, our last scene is her ready for her close-up. She has completely given up on reality, and she has succumbed to her fantasy that she is getting her comeback. But um, then, I but, thought that maybe she was just playing that up. I mean, you could make that argument, but it, if it doesn't seem like it. Um, because there are other things in the film that she like has tried to commit suicide more than once by the time we end like we hear about it but previously. i think that's already showing how broken she is like she's it, it, she, that's but i think then i think the uh, what's left of her sanity shatters 
uh, when she kills uh, Joe. I think like there was some left, um, and there was general hopefulness, and some of it wasn't like it wasn't like the fan mail she was responding to was her pretending she was receiving fan mail, but it was fake um, from Max, and so like a lot of those illusions were all shattered at once. I, I do. I think she's gone. I think she's completely lost oh, at the end. Totally, totally agreeing with you because I forgot about all of the, like that she has tried to commit suicide enough that they've removed all the locks from the house. They yeah. can't have razors, and all of these different things. We see where on New Year's eve she she tries to cut her wrist well she cuts her wrist she's just not successful and then so i wasn't thinking about all that so i can totally see what you're saying and and it good go ahead i was gonna say it makes me sad because we end up finding out that she's only 50 and i know that some people think that that's really old but that's oh there's not such good dialogue in this movie you Um, know (sighs) when joe tells her 50's not the end of the world um unless you pretend to be 25 i just i loved that line yeah um, it's like embrace who you are like it's okay Corey, to not pretend to be a different age than you actually are um, i'm not pretending i'm just not saying yes i know um i'm just I, as i was saying i was like well there's an ongoing joke we make all the time <laughs> um she she has some really amazing lines great stars have great pride um you don't want me to love you uh she says um I like I actually have like quotes in my notes and I don't usually do that but I was just like oh my god I love that line. Um I think there was another one that I really liked. Um oh uh when she's talking about herself that um she was still big but the screen's got too small or something like that. Like I don't have that yes. one. But that line is so great. Um this movie is just so terrific in so many ways and I think I think that we should talk about Max, but I want to talk about Max. That's totally where I was going. We <laughs> we end up finding out that she's been married three times. So yes. to me and to you, that's a lot. You mm-hmm. know, I'm just yeah. like, I I I don't know. So to us, it's a lot, but also in that time period, like it. I think it's so interesting to see how different Hollywood is now. But like we all re like we've heard and seen movies and like stuff that so many like relationships and marriages were set up by the, the studio studios like in, and uh, stuff like hail caesar that's a major plot point yeah and it's, so i think that i i figured that probably one or two of those marriages were from that because she was a very successful actress at one time but i just i did like the way that things are revealed in the movie like, i did not see like max was clearly way too loyal to her yes but i did not I mean, he's the only one left as he's literally the only one left and not just like he's left begrudgingly he is loyal wants to be there yeah he wants to be there and then when you find out why that he was one the director who initially discovered her when she was 16 mind you that he says 16 i'm fairly yeah. fairly confident no it's 16 um and then he marries her. So I don't know how old she was when they got married, but somewhere between 16 and 18 would be my guess. And um, he was her first husband. And when she divorced him, he stayed and became her butler. Holy crap, man. Like, that is insane. And it does show, like, that level of obsession with, like, stars and, and celebrity that he was willing to 
watch her marry two other people and be there you know and probably hear things like how sad is max's life that might be the this movie has a lot of sad characters and max's story is probably the saddest yeah because even think how he like he you would think he would try to push joe away if anything he locks joe in there yeah and you're like oh my god you love this woman and you you love her so much you're willing to sacrifice it's not even he's not even sacrificing his own happiness because i think the only thing that makes him happy is her being happy well also just i think being near her i mean i don't know how to explain that like i i don't know but agreed and we like find out that he's writing the um fan mail for her and he doesn't even come right out and say it he's like you might not want to look too closely at those postmarks yeah and i was just like eh, eh, okay i don't yeah i max's character is heartbreaking and um very kind of just scary actually i don't want anyone to be that obsessed with me no and i think again i think he kind of represents like fan culture where we get so protective and and um precious with our our fandoms and again this is at 1950 imagine how that applies to like star wars fans after last jedi or um what uh game of thrones fans who are petitioning that they redo season eight it's like are you are you freaking kidding like you really think like shows have ended badly you just move on. Like, no one freaking wrote a petition for Dexter to get another season. Like, shut up. It's it's over. It, they screwed it up. That's fine. It happens sometimes. There are great movies that the endings suck. Like, it occurs from time to time. You just have to deal with it. It's part of the, the process. I think that I, I feel like the internet, like, everyone having internet access in their hands, like, 24 hours a day, anytime they want to, high speed... I think that that definitely, like, you know, makes, I don't... For sure, no, it, we, we're we we're able to find like-minded people, one, way too quickly, and then two, because there is examples, like the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, that <laughs> yeah. was so, un, so clearly not confident with what they created, that they've <laughs> taken it, pushed it back a year, and are redesigning the character because of the fan backlash. Like, so there is... I just wasn't going to see it. I yeah, mean... there's... Exactly. Um, and uh, again, they made those decisions. So it's like, to me, it's like you went through this process knowing you're that you were changing. You're making a second movie. Yeah, well, why... If you felt the need to make it look that way, knowing what the character actually looks like, why, why did you do it in the first place if you didn't think this was a cool idea? Like... You know what I'm saying? Like, stick to it. Stick to your guns. This is what you went with. Like, Yeah, do what you do. I don't like every Tim Burton movie, but Tim Burton's making the movies he wants to make, and you either like him or you don't. And maybe he will, at some point, won't be able to make them anymore. But okay. You know, I, I would rather have bad art with a, a clear vision, or at least maybe bad art to me, with that had a distinctive, clear vision than this, like, I want it my way mentality. If, like, you If know, it... Yeah, I just, I don't, life, you're going to get disappointments in life, guys. I mean, yeah. I feel like we need to, like, start a help group for these people, because I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm glad I really enjoy Game of Thrones, but 
I'm not like obsessed with it. And thankfully, the shows that I have loved have had good endings, even when they didn't have good seasons. But I'm obsessed with movies, and uh, there's a, there has definitely been movies that have let me down, or at least I feel like. So down. you're not starting riots in the parking lot. But so yeah, what are you but, doing? You know, I, I'm, I'm going to write a review. I'm going to debate it. I will have a very you know fun debate. Like I didn't love King of Monsters. Sean did. We didn't fight each other. We had a fun little. Com- we we took a couple of little jabs, but. It was we had a conversation back and forth, and like I disagree with that, or I, I I can see why you would say that. Like it was a very civil and normal conversation, because it's okay that we have different opinions. Ultimately, that's the beauty of art that's is that what, everyone yes. doesn't have to like it. Um, and why and we've been doing this boring. podcast, and very rarely, I, I would say like I wouldn't say very rarely out of we do about fifty two of these or so a year. I would say maybe half we are eye to eye on. And then there are some times where I think we're going to be eye to eye and we're very much not. And then by coincidence, the movies that like, I think both of us go in really expecting like, this is the one, this is that big movie we've been sitting on and we finally are going to watch it. We've disliked more of those um, together than not. I think like, I think a lot of the real big, like uh, obviously we always go back to the horror films, but Suspiria and, um, phantasm which we both went in expecting to be like a odd buy we both hated and i just feel like too and i feel like the horror community is the worst out of all movie communities that they just like i I mean i I think the horror community has been uh kind of pushed into a corner though where they're kind of like the smallest community and so i think they feel like they always have to fight like they're the underdogs yeah um i that's that's and I feel like they're I feel like horror movies get too much of a, a pass with like like Brightburn for example I wanted to love Brightburn I was like so pumped about Brightburn but the the there is literally four or five different explanations as to why the character is evil and one what? of them usurps the other four and makes them all pointless and it's like it feels like they had five different scripts started and they just mesh them all together to fill in time. And that's, I, maybe I'm wrong. That's my read on the film. That's the way I interpreted it. Because there's like a scene where he's being bullied. So like, oh, he turns evil because he's bullied. But like, nope, that has nothing to do with it later. Like, it, it, yes, it happens. And it does play a factor with some of the people he chooses to target. But it's not the reason he turns evil. So it's like, there's all this setup implying these things like, oh, this is why, or this is why. But ultimately, it comes down to he doesn't have a freaking choice. And it's like, it's bad writing. Like, yes, you can still enjoy it for the scenes because the the murder scenes are pretty innovative because it's like, you could see like, well, how would Superman kill somebody if like he, he's got super strength? So what kind of things could he do? Like, it's there, you see, those scenes are cool. Everything else is just getting to the next Filler. scene. Um, and that's bad horror. Now, we've we've deviated here because we were talking about Max, and I think Max <laughs> represents kind of that obsessive culture. Which, I mean, in the Hollywood system, even in Singing in the Rain, a movie Corey has never seen, um, there's a scene where they're watching the new Don Lockwood movie, which is Gene Kelly's film. It's the very beginning of the movie. And you see all these audience reactions as they're watching this new silent film. And a girl, this is, again, the movie came out in 1952, but it's set in, like, 1928 and 27. And the girl's watching the movie, and she goes, "Um, I I would, 
if I can't be that glamorous, I'll just kill myself or something like that. Like, and so think about how a few years ago there was all this backlash because teenagers were saying kill myself or F my life and all that. And it's like, yeah, 1952, there's a character, a young girl who says that line in that same kind of sarcastic melodramatic mindset because she doesn't she's not as glamorous as this character in a movie my life's not worth living you know so you see that there and i think this character max um represents that that obsessive celebrity kind of culture that has always been around since film existed you know this the star system the celebrity system people want to be them um i just want their money I would love to have that type of uh, life where I could easily not feel like I I need to come up with more money every time I look at something. You know, it's like I'm <laughs> co- constantly trying to figure out other ways to make more money. But um, but at the same time, like I I I don't know. I I could probably talk forever on this film, but um, I I like Max a lot. I I really um I like the connection with Betty. I like that when uh joe is confronted by norma about betty that he has betty come over and that he breaks it off with betty because one he knows that he's not good for her like it is not they're not he i think he loves her from the moment he meets her um and i think she does truly love him more than Artie. i think there is a like a kindred spirit type connection with them but i think he is bad for her and i think he kind of is aware of how bad of a maybe not even bad how like cynical and and dark he is to everything like he's kind of given up and she's like that one glimmer of hope left in his life and he doesn't want to see that hope extinguished by him so he'd rather her go off you know Mm -hmm. and um i really like that a lot but it's it's a heartbreaking scene when he's like showing her what like i am her pet you know she has provided for me she has given me everything i have and some uh, something that's so interesting though about their relationship is she does take care of him and she does buy him all these things but never at his request no that's i think he's like a toy he never like tries to take advantage of all the money she has and he like when she takes him shopping he like begrudgingly you know the only scene in the movie where it feels like he is relying on her outside of like obviously he has nothing so he at some point he's kind of trapped but when they come to repo his car at the house and he's like i need money now um that's like the only time he like seems demanding about it but it's because he he likes that car and he doesn't want to lose the car but it's also that car represents his last chance of getting out and it's like freedom yeah exactly it's his last chance of getting away from her but yeah it's a simpler way to say it's freedom it's his freedom it's his escape and now he's losing it and it's like i think it's her last like lockdown on him like no no she wants that car repoed why do we need two cars <laughs> yep yeah like we don't need two cars um yeah i i like a lot she's her she's tremendous some of the faces she makes are insane like she's she's so expressive um I, yeah, I I really, really like this movie. I think it is... Um, one, Billy Wilder's sens- sensibilities definitely click with mine, and uh, noir as a genre clicks with me as well. So this movie just... 
it, it works for me on, on almost every level. Um, I do want you to watch that video. I will send it to you after we're done recording here. Um, but I, I am, I could probably talk forever. I'm, I'm going to say, unless there's something specific you want to talk about, we should wrap up. No. Um, I know what your rating is going to be. I'm torn. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going must see for, uh, Sunset Boulevard. I was so happy that we watched this, um, it was one I kept putting off. I wasn't sure if it would click for me. I don't know why. Um, I didn't really know what it was. Like, I knew Billy Wilder did it. I thought it was going to be, like, a dark comedy. And it's... I mean, there's humor in it, because Wilder has a humor, a comedic sensibility. Um, but it's it's not a comedy. It's, it is a, it's a noir drama. Um, and it's tragic in a lot of ways. I would say it's even more... Like, it's more tragic than it is, like... Like, Chinatown is cynical and, and hopeless at its end. This is, like, it's... Everyone has a down ending, but it's more of, like, a tragedy where you're just like, oh, no. Like, the world's fine. You know, no one mm-hmm. else is really going to be affected by this, but for these characters, I'm like, oh, no. Um, And poor Norma, because I, I wanted her to get her comeback, you know? But she, she doesn't. But... I feel like that's something that is something interesting about it because if you think about going from these people who have to be extremely expressive on film without being able to speak at all and then now you have people who can express themselves with words like you have a much bigger pool of you know I'm yeah. sure that they paid people less and like all kinds of things um I'm going to I'm going to go with musty film too All right wow uh I I'm going to take a little credit I think I helped win you over a little more um, it did. It did sound like you were into the film much more. Than yeah, I expected. didn't. Like sometimes I have a hard time watching our movies. Like I just can't stay in it. But I didn't feel that way at all with this. Yeah, I was very into. I had a and I, I had like, the worst thing happen because my internet went out like with ten minutes <gasps> left of oh, the movie. Yeah. And so I had to like I'm like I had to wait for my modem to restart and it was like I'm like oh my god I'm so close to the end I really want to know what happens like. Um, yeah, this movie pulled me in real hard, um, early on, and I, I was on my phone, but I was on my phone taking notes, I took a lot of notes, like, there were so many things in this movie, I'm like, I want to write that down, I gotta type that up, I'm very interested in this thing, and, um, I, I rarely use my notes, I didn't really use them at all here, because the movie stuck with me, like, I, I'm still thinking about and it. And... It was in an hour and 50 minutes, guys. Yeah, yeah. And, and it breathed by... It's a good length. Um, it feels like the right amount. I don't feel like there's any scene that... Like, the scenes that are not quickly through, I think, are necessary to, like, really sit in the room, sit with them. Um, I don't feel like there's any wasted, like, moments in the movie. So I'm I'm very happy with this. Um, I am excited uh, that this was our last one for this theme because, it you know, sometimes the themes end on a down note. Like... I think the uh, Sally Field movie last month ended on a pretty down note. Um, I think the last movie was the worst movie, Murphy's Romance, right? Oh. I think that was the worst of the ones we watched uh, for Sally Field. So it's like, oh, that's no, a... no, it was not. It was, the, it was one... the other one before that. Yeah, it was the one where her daughter is murdered. Eye for uh, an eye. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, that was the worst one. God, I forgot about that one. Um, <laughs> I was so bad you erased it from memory. Yeah, I totally wiped that. I was like, Never happened. Um, oh, man. <laughs> God. Um, Sorry. <laughs> well, next month, because um, we're done with Mint in Box, and we're moving into June. Uh, for June, we're doing our theme is River Runs Through Us. 
uh, and these are movies that are currently streaming on one of the services that we have. Um, and I, I just like realized, what you did there. Uh, yeah, I like it. Um, you haven't done yours. I haven't done mine, but luckily uh, we're starting with yours, uh, so I will be picking mine as soon as we get off this podcast, probably. Um, I've been waiting, though, because I didn't want to pick because something and then it go off screen. Yeah, yeah, so I was like, I gotta wait till the last minute um, to make this decision, because it has to be on a streaming service. And it looks like both of yours are on Prime. But Yeah, I actually owned the first one that's in there. Ah, I just, so I bought it when he passed it's a away. Good merging of Mint in Box with... Um, Oh, oh, this is Anton Yelchin. Yeah. Um, so... And he's a baby. We're watching Charlie Bartlett, um, which I am excited about. I feel like I... I always confuse this with... Oh, no, I have seen this. Okay, this is the one with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, darn. No, no, it's okay, because that's not how this works. It's one movie that one of us hasn't seen. But I like when both of us haven't seen it, because then it's, you know... But I think I've only watched this, uh, once, and I did not realize Kat Dennings was in this. Um... Oh, Hope Davis is also in it, and I can't think of what she's in, but she's in stuff I like. Um, I I've only seen it once, and I don't think I sat from beginning to end. So I'm still this is still gonna be a, like the first full experience because this was on like Cinemax or something. I think Kathy had it on, and I came in at a point where I was able to like pick up and figure out what was going on. But I'm a big Anton Yelchin fan. I'm also a big Robert Downey Jr. fan. He plays the principal, if I'm not mistaken, of the school. Oh. Um, and they he is the antagonist to Charlie Bartlett. Um, it's directed by John Pohl, who I'm not familiar with. Uh, apparently I am familiar with. He's edited a bunch of stuff. Um, he's not directed a whole bunch, but he's edited a lot of stuff. Um, I am interested in, uh, rewatching this. So this is on Amazon Prime, so you can watch this with us. Reach out to us, tell us what you think of Charlie Bartlett. Um, the premise is a rich kid becomes a self-appointed psychiatrist to the student body of his new high school. Um, Metascore of 54, uh, but a 7.0 IMDb user score um, listed as a comedy, drama, romance. And uh, the scenes that I remember are pretty crazy. And Anton Yelchin, as expected, is excellent. Um, I'm assuming Kat Dennings is probably going to be his love interest, but... I thought I said, oh, Drake is in this movie. Oh, God. Back to the Degrassi days. Yeah, because this is 2007, so wow. Um, he's just listed as A, so I'm guessing he's not in the movie very much. Um, but, uh, yeah, that cool pick. Um, we'll, we'll list the rest of the movies once I've picked mine on our next episode. But uh, we'll be watching movies that are streaming on one of the services that we have. So that'll either be Prime, Netflix, Hulu, or Shudder. Um, so until uh, our next episode, you can follow us on social media. I am at Burke Reviews and Corey. At Corey R Star, two R's on the end. And if you like what we're doing, we'd love for you to rate and review us. It helps other listeners find us. Uh, give us that five-star rating. Write something cool. Um, we would be grateful. Again, if you like us. Uh, if you don't like us, I mean, you can review us however you want. But I'm specifically asking for the good ones. Um but until next time, just remember, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Or are you just lonely? If the answer is yes, and even if it's not, then check out the What I Watch Tonight show's filmtastic selection of podcasts covering the entire movie verse as something for everyone. 
so come check it out. More details at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk or from all good podcast providers.